All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, Nancy Lurker. Nancy is president and CEO of iPoint Pharmaceuticals, a specialty company that develops and manufactures sustained release drug delivery innovative ophthalmic products to treat debilitating diseases of the eye, which can lead to blindness. Ms. Lurker is a healthcare industry veteran and decision maker who brings more than 30 years experience with public and private startups, including Fortune 500 biotechs and pharma companies. Nancy, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. Nancy, share with us a little bit about your background and particularly in manufacturing, since that's the, the audience that we have. Yeah. Well, I've spent um, a number of years in the pharmaceutical industry at Big Pharma and then several small pharma companies. And in almost all cases, with the exception of actually two companies I was at, which was on the service side, I've been in a manufacturing uh, company. So I've got a lot of experience just in terms of how you go about thinking about manufacturing drugs, which is not easy sometimes, and then supply chains, et cetera. And I understand that you have some pretty cool technology with what you've developed at your company. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? We have a, some very interesting technology. It's a, we, at our core, we are a ocular drug delivery company making products that we will commercialize ourselves. We also do work with partners as well, though. They might, in some cases, come to us with drugs they want to put in our drug delivery technology. And the reason is because when you're dealing with drugs that go into the eye, it's very complex. If you could think about the eye, obviously, it's very small and it's a highly complex organ. So our drug delivery technology is minute. We actually have two. One's called Duracert and one is called Verisome. They're very different from each other. I'll focus on Duracert because that's our main platform. This is a, it's really an amazing drug delivery technology that we can release drugs into the eye. Usually you inject it into what's called the posterior, the back part of the eye. Um, and I know for your listeners, it might, they might be like, oh my God, injecting into the back of the eye, how horrible. It's not as bad as it sounds. Doctors are very used to it. But what you do is it's an extremely small, about the size of a tiny piece of hair in terms of diameter, and that gets injected into the eye. And we can tailor the release of the drug depending on the drug, depending on how long we want it to go, anywhere from three years down to one month. So right now we have one drug on the market that releases out over three years. And again, this is no more than three millimeters long, about one millimeter in diameter. It's really amazing. And the patient can't see it. You can't see it. It drops to the bottom of the eye and it just sits there and releases a tiny microscopic dose, in this case, a steroid every single day, 365 days a year for three years. We also have a very exciting drug in the pipeline, which will release a tyrosine kinase inhibitor over six months. 
And again, that's based on how we pick these timeframes is based on what doctors want, what's best for patients. And some cases too, literally what we can do, because as you can imagine, the pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics of a drug are also have to marry up with the drug delivery technology. So there's some limits there in times of what we can do. Right. Well, and the thing that I really love about having people in manufacturing on the show is their passion for it. And you are obviously extremely passionate about what you do. And one of the things that we talked about before the show was really getting more women into STEM, getting more women into manufacturing and just really finding and being excited about the mission that you have. So what are some of the things that you've seen, maybe you've done as an organization to find people in STEM and STEAM? And what's the other one? STEM? I don't even know. They, they keep adding letters to STEM, but that is working for you. It's not easy. And I think I want to encourage women to persevere in this field. We need more women. And I would also say people of color persevere because Look, there's no doubt when you bring in more diversity into an organization, you get different approaches to problems, different ways to think about things. It also changes the culture of the company, which I love. There's no doubt that bringing women into manufacturing and women into STEM changes the dynamic in many different ways, all, and I, very much for the positive. So one of the things I like to do is to mentor women Uh, particularly young women up and coming. It's not easy. It never is. None of these fields are easy. Certainly getting into the C-suite is difficult. takes a lot of hours and commitment. But also what I do is we, we do reach out. So for instance, many times we'll be doing a job search and we open it up to all comers, of course. But I want to try to make sure that we do get diversity in the organization and we promote from within. So we make a real effort as well to mentor our people of color as well as women so that they can know that they've got a great career track at iPoint Pharmaceuticals. So there's the traditional ways of finding employees. And then when you are looking to increase that level of diversity and the the number of women that join you, what are maybe some of the more non-traditional ways that you go out and do that? And I know that there's no magic cure or easy button when it comes to finding people, but if there's some non-traditional ways that you've discovered Well, Lisa, I was just going to say there's no secret sauce. (laughs) And what I do is I tap into my network. Now, I will say this in pharma is unique. It's a unique ecosystem. And I'll in that is biotech. You go into the Boston area where iPoint Pharmaceuticals is headquartered. That is an incredible biotechnology pharma ecosystem. And so a lot of people know a lot of people. So it doesn't take much to be able to reach out and find women and people of color in that area. Now, I will say because of the pandemic, the good news is we figured out you don't have to be living in Boston. So we we will often go way beyond Boston to find people. Now, again, in that case, sometimes we use the traditional executive search firms. But what I would also say is go on LinkedIn. We post every job except for very high level positions, we post every job on LinkedIn. So if you see a job there, apply for it. 
because we do want to try to make sure that we get a broader pool of uh, women and diverse candidates into the company. So we're, I'm very committed to that. I think that it, again, it really brings in a different perspective into the company. I tap into my network. I reach out to people in the Boston area that I know, but we also go on LinkedIn and we go way beyond the Boston area as well. Yeah. And it's good that you're saying that because I think that people have this idea about LinkedIn, that the jobs are there, that there's like all these people that are applying and, uh, and it would be almost impossible oh. to get a job because of the competition. But obviously you're not finding that. No, no. In fact, we often use the LinkedIn network to get candidates in for positions all the time. Now, again, you put your resume in and we do want to make sure the resume is at least somewhat close sure. to the job description. But no, we don't find, we've actually had very good success through LinkedIn. Awesome. And when you're thinking about a bringing women into STEM and also people of color, what are some of the myths that we have been preventing people from joining yeah. STEM that are not necessarily true? Yes. So I'm going to say some things. I was not the smartest person in my class. Now, there's no doubt when you take courses in my undergraduates, biology and chemistry, when you take courses in that field, it's not easy, but you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the one that is, you know, the brilliant scientist. I don't have a PhD. I have a master's in business, but I don't have a PhD. And oftentimes, you know, I'm surrounded by very, very talented scientists at iPoint Pharmaceuticals with PhDs, but yet don't let that intimidate you. You have something to offer. You can bring insights in. And oftentimes you may not be the scientist working at the bench, at the lab. You might need that background on the business side. You might need that background in regulatory. You might need that background working in the manufacturing area just to basically understand some of the basic science that goes into making the drug. So don't be intimidated by it. If you like it, hang in there. Being a B student is perfectly fine. Throw in a couple C's. But you again, I want to stress, sometimes people have this idea that scientists are nerdy. You got to be brilliant. I'm never going to make it. Don't think that way. It's a big, big ecosystem of people where that science degree, even if it's just a bachelor's, which is what I have, will come into great use in many different areas in this, in this field. And so what are in your career, some of the leadership lessons that you've learned through your experiences as a woman in STEM? You know, there's a lot of leadership lessons. One I would say is I have never felt that I wanted to or needed to not be feminine. I love to dress in nice, pretty clothes. I like to fix my hair up nice. I like jewelry. You can be who you are in this whole field and, and, and still do very, very well. Now, again, you have to stick to your your guns oftentimes. I'm not going to deny at times you go into meetings and it still exists. Men will tend to at times talk over to you. I'm not trying to any way denigrate men right now because they bring a tremendous amount to the table as well. Everybody does. But sometimes men can still talk over you. I just push right on through. 
And I don't, I'm not afraid to call it out to say, excuse me, I was talking or excuse me, I just said that and you're repeating it again. So <laughs> it happens. But so you have to have that confidence to, to do that. That's probably the biggest thing I would say. And the second thing is advocate for yourself. Women have a hard time with this. And there are patterns in terms of what I've seen over the years. Women tend to not advocate for themselves as much. They don't come to me as much and say, hey, I'm ready for a promotion. I want to be promoted. Men typically do that, which I have no problem with. And I will say to women, you're ready for a promotion. You should be going to your boss and advocating for this. The second thing is that women tend to feel that they have to be 95% ready for that next promotion. Oftentimes men will feel 75% good enough. I can go do that next job. So don't feel like you have to have every single box checked off before you're ready for that next promotion. And then finally, don't get too loyal to your company because the reality is oftentimes you can make big leaps forward by leaving one company and going to another company. And I'm not saying that to the iPoint employees because I love you all and I want <laughs> you to stay here, but it does help at times. And I did that in my career and it helped tremendously. Right. Well, and it's different today than it used to be. I mean, back at way back in the oh, day yeah. when I was an executive recruiter, if I saw somebody with fewer than five years at a company, I'd be like job hopper, yeah. but, but yeah. it's different yeah. today. And like you already said, you, instead of having employees just in the Boston area, the pandemic has shown us that you can have people from all over the country. So we're expanding our views. We're expanding our candidate base. We're expanding the diversity that we're able to bring bring in. But I really like the lessons that you talk about for women, because it, it's true, they're not advocating for themselves. And no. they, they feel this sense of loyalty uh, to a company that may not be appreciating them and Correct. going somewhere else, not the eye point <laughs> people, of course. But just so let me looking, make another comment. Yeah, all right? absolutely. I have two kids. One's 23, one's 17. I never, and, and I'm married, I never sacrificed my family for my job. So what did I do? You need to be confident. You don't need to apologize if you need to go take, you know, an hour off or two hours off to go to the soccer game, the dance recital. I don't care what it is, running in them to the doctor. And again, I think, and actually, I think this applies to men as well. Don't apologize for that. Don't feel like, oh, do you mind if I do this? Just say, hey, I need to take two. I've got an important event with my kid and I'm going to go. I'm going to go take two hours off and be there. And if that's a problem, let me know. But oftentimes you can do that and you deserve to be able to do that. So you can have a family. You can have a successful career. You have to make sure I, I have never been one to as, as, ascribe to the theory that you have to be putting in 80 hour work weeks nonstop. Now, to be fair, in the C-suite, you're putting in 60 hours. There's no doubt about it. But I intersperse that. There's many times I take time off to go be with my family and I'll rework meetings around. And I tell people, I don't try to fudge it and say, oh, you know, I'm, and that's not just when I hit the C-level. I did that going all the way up. Be transparent about it. Be proud of it and make sure that you prioritize what's important in your life. 
Well, and you're also setting the example for what your employees, what you expect from your employees, because so many times it's all fine and dandy when the leadership says, oh, your family's important and you should spend time with them. And, you know, we welcome that, but they never, ever see the C-suite leaving their office and they're putting in 60 or 80 hours a week. The fact that you are setting that example and being that transparent that you're not, oh, I have another doctor's appointment. And then they see you on, you know, Facebook, enjoying your kid's soccer game. Right. So again, you're setting the example for the behavior that you want. And that's so important. And I, and also the way that you did it all the way up, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And you're not taking advantage of it, but you're, yeah. No. And you know what, that's the reality. Again, another nice thing about the pandemic, I think is that it's allowed us to get rid of some horrible commutes that frees up time. It allows you, I mean, I'm sure you all have done this, which is you can be on a conference call, go on mute, the dog's barking, the kid just walked in the door. Hey, go drop your bags off. You know, you can be there a little bit more. And that's terrific. I think it's wonderful. Well, and it's also changed how we look at the workplace because you have a lot of people, um, particularly, you know, baby boomers who we never thought were going to retire because of their work ethic. And all of a sudden they just spent a year working from home, playing with their grandkids and their kids and realizing there is life outside. So unless companies are willing to have that, not only that transparency from leadership, but that flexibility in being able to stay connected to family, they're there's going to be big losers in the long run Um, companies that are forcing their employees to come back to the office with no choice of doing any remote work ever again. These, these are the things that we look at. And I believe that it's going to open up for women much more because men have all, we've all discovered the value of family. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it is absolutely going to change the dynamic and allow a lot more flexibility. And it's about time. We need it. Right. So what are some of the things that you have seen that are working best from a cultural standpoint? It sounds like you have a a pretty great culture over there at iPoint. So what are some of the things that you're doing that are working to keep that high engagement level? Yeah, let me say some things. Now, some of the things I'm going to say are going to sound like, all right, wait a minute, a lot of companies do this, a lot of tech companies do this. But I also think it's how we go about it. So first of all, it starts at the top. So I hire for what I call high uh, achievers, but low ego. I don't want a bunch of people in the company that are all about them. That can often be poisonous to a culture. That's number one. Uh, Number two, yes, I can be a tough boss, but you also have to be kind. You have to be respectful. Don't throw your weight around. So we, 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 I model that. It starts with me. I have to model that. So I like to think of myself and the leadership team as we're just orchestra conductors, but we need everybody. So With that as the backdrop, and this is not a macho culture, right? Again, like I said, this is not where, oh God, you know, I'm going to come in here and work 80 hours a week and I got my snacks over here and all this stuff. I've never gone for that. You can be highly successful, have a very successful company and not have that kind of culture. Again, with that as backdrop, we try to do a lot of fun things. Just, you know, 
We've got, uh, like we, we often have International Food Day. Everybody brings in food from their respective countries and you cannot believe the amazing food we have. That is a lot of fun. We throw a lot of company events. We have your typical, you know, snacks that people can go get. And, you know, I try to be around and just walk around and get to know people. We're growing pretty rapidly. So it's a little hard for me now to stay on top of who everyone is. But I always try to walk around and and say hi to everyone. I also have what I call coffees with Nancy. And so what I do is over the course of 12 months, I will have three to five employees meet with me uh, as a group and work through the entire employee base through the year. It's just a chance for a casual conversation. I did it all through the pandemic where that was all done virtual. And you just get to know each other. I try to bring in people from different departments so that they can get to know each other as well because we do have a, a number of different locations. So it's it all those things go about building a culture that is fun, trusting, And where people don't feel like they have to have their political guard up all the time. I don't want energy going to playing the politics. I want energy going to how can I do, how can I solve this problem? How do I make sure I get this project done? Because they want to, not because they're trying to, you know, kiss up to their boss. I hate that. I always have. I work really hard to make sure we have a culture that exemplifies it. We're not perfect. We never are going to be, but we really strive to make sure that that's a key part of our company culture. And how many employees do you have? We're up to about 120 now and uh, continuing to add. Okay. Well, and the reason why that's important to know is because for people listening to the podcast, they're like, we, I can't, I can't be spending that amount of time. But when you put that as a priority over the course of a year, and I talk this in about this in my programs all the time. So it's so nice to hear when people are doing it because you're getting feedback, you're creating this safe environment for people to share things. And I'm sure that, that from time to time you get to hear some stuff Much to the chagrin of my management team. (laughs) But again, yeah, but the response to that is simply, and I'm sure you do this. Thank you for sharing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Because when you fight them, when you argue, when you do any of the above, well, that's not what I meant by that. They will never share with you again. So it sounds like you have created a very safe, authentic, transparent environment as a CEO for your employees to do that, which is easy. It's not easy to do, but it's something that when you place it as a priority, you can do it. You can do it. And I'm going to say again, it really starts at the top. You have to have, it's not just me. It's also the, the leadership team. I'd say actually all the way down to the vice president level really helps to set that tone but you have to have people who are willing to not let their ego get in the way. And I will say, Lisa, unfortunately, you still, and I've seen it, too many companies where it's all about them. If you make it all about you, you will never get the type of loyalty and trust that you want in in a company. Exactly. They see through it. They're not stupid. They they can tell what's going on. Right. And they're not going to like everything you tell them, but at least if you're coming from a place of authenticity and transparency, they know that you'll always have their back. Exactly. So Nancy, what are some of the things that are still keeping you up at night? 
Well, actually, I would say two things. One is it ties in right into manufacturing. We are we have a drug that's in for uh, phase one. It's uh, called EYP1901. It's for a devastating eye disease called wet AMD. This drug will hopefully be able to be used once every six months. It's an implant, actually releasing this tyrosine kinase inhibitor. The problem in this drug category is that patients get injected every month or every other month, and nobody wants to go get their eyes stuck with a needle every month or every other month. But it's a terrible eye disease, so you need to be treated for the rest of your life. Now, if we're successful, we are going to have to rapidly grow, rapidly produce a lot of drug. Getting the supply chain, and we're working on it, but getting the supply chain in place, making sure that we can produce enough drug for the clinical trials, and then subsequently, if we're successful down the road, commercially. That's a big task. We can do it, and we are absolutely working on that now, but it's still, it's a big task to make that happen. The other thing is, this is not an easy drug and implant to manufacture. It's very minute. So you have to have skilled technicians who can manipulate the API and the implant and make it correctly. We have tight quality control standards. This is all produced in clean rooms. So it's very, very strict manufacturing standards. So that's probably one big area that's a a significant project for us is just expanding our manufacturing capability for these really unique, innovative, but very small implants with drug in them. Wow. So stay tuned to LinkedIn for those job openings coming up. Yeah, we, we absolutely are going to be growing rather rapidly in that area. Awesome. Well, Nancy, if from a networking standpoint, if you there were things that either you wanted to learn from your manufacturing colleagues and things that you would be willing from your insight and expertise to share, what would that look like? Insights on how you go about rapidly expanding a manufacturing base. We can always learn. We've got a great team, but I love new ideas that come in from people who've done this, been there and done this before. So that's number one in terms of input we could we would uh, value from. The second thing is in areas that we could help people on, I think it's just what I've talked about with women. I'm always love to mentor women in this space and areas in terms of you know, how you go about uh, thinking about taking a drug from phase one all the way up through phase three. We've done it several times. I've done it multiple times in my career. Uh, And I would say if people want to reach out, the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. Uh, There you can send me messages. I'm pretty good about responding to messages that come through. All right. Well, that answered my following question. So Nancy, if you were to give a listener today your best piece of advice, and you've given so many today for creating that, the type of culture that you've created at iPoint, what would that be? Make sure that what you are doing, you enjoy. You can't always find the perfect job, but work is such a big part of our lives you have to at least enjoy it somewhat. It doesn't have to be central to your life, but you wanna make sure that given all the hours you spend in it, that you do enjoy what you're doing. And number one, we know this from the research, bosses matter. If you have a bad boss, get get out of there. 
go somewhere else where you can have a boss who treats you with respect and you feel fulfilled in your, your work. Well, Nancy, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure too. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.